Welcome to the Build Business Acumen Podcast, where we deliver practical knowledge and powerful guidance. Here is your futuristic host, Nathaniel Schooler. Today I'd like to introduce you to Douglas Komai. He is an experienced bilingual business director, transformation and brand marketing leader. And I've been working with Douglas for about sort of five years and he has helped me immensely in my career as a great mentor to me. So let's dig into the show. So Douglas, when you were working with Krug Champagne, what, what did you learn about their branding? Right, what did I learn? It's a big question. Although in essence, the, the fundamentals are really very simple. Krug Champagne is a luxury product and appears at the top of nearly every quality champagne list and has done for a long time. And I guess the question one asks oneself is how did they manage that? Both in terms of the product and the terms of the brand. In terms of the brand, which your subject is today, I suppose the the essence of it is that they never forget and never get distracted by novelty or anything akin to it. And by keeping true to the essence of what the brand is, which is the quality of the product, they protect their brand very, very carefully. And in fact, you can see the same thing in many luxury brands. The difference between Krug Champagne and certainly the time I worked with them, which is a few years now, is that what is so different is that the... I'm trying to find the word for them. Effectively, the people who are living out in the Far East and produce copies of their brand right and very accurately cannot reproduce the quality of their brand right and so they to some extent are protected from this constant stream of a copying and fake goods and yeah illegal production i mean you can see what it's done to businesses I mean, for example, in the sunglasses business, premium sunglasses. And let's just take Dolce Gabbana for a minute. Mm -hmm. I mean, you can see that their business is affected by street market out in, where where are they? In Kuala Lumpur or in Thailand Thailand or in Asia generally. And these people have done immense harm to branding. Right. Because they've introduced the idea that a brand cannot be premium. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I saw recently a Louis Vuitton um, handbag, which was just a copy. Right. And it was cheap, shoddy and rather unpleasant. And it felt really horrible. I mean, you don't wear a handbag, obviously, but when you touch it with your fingers... You can just tell it's probably glued together. You know, it's not going to carry anything worth having. I mean, certainly you wouldn't want to carry a little pooch in it, would you? (laughs) Like they do in Hollywood. 
<laughs> and that's the big difference. It's that Krug protected their brand viciously. Right. In that sense. Right. They didn't mess it about and mess around with it. They had very little at the time that I was with them in the way of promotional material, for example. Because, with a very sensible decision, that if they end up trying to become too much of a novelty item, it would get in the way of the purity of the product. Right. So they'd commissioned, Roll, I think it was Rolls-Royce or Bentley, to produce what was essentially an estate car, which they sold the the product out the back of at key events. So at Ascot, for example, the uh, the estate car would go down there and represent the brand in all its finery. It was Rolls-Royce, I think. I seem to remember seeing that, yeah. Yeah, and it, yeah. Was, it was an unusual, doc, uh, unusual vehicle at mm. the time. Yeah, it was like a hearse almost. <laughs> well, it was certainly very big. Because they had to get the boxes in the back. Never yeah. mind any. Never mind the body. Yeah. But they were very protective of their brand, and that is the moral of the story. If you look after your product quality and make it as uncopyable as you humanly can, you will find your brand thrives. And even today, Krug is a premium brand. Mm. Yeah. Um, and it's a good, it's a superb product. It's not just good, it's actually superb. Right. And that's the story of all high quality luxury goods, in my opinion. Right. And that's, you become a hostage to fortune and to opportunism. Right. Because that's, we're talking in essence now about brand extensions, aren't we? Like, I was talking about it the other day with someone from the drinks industry. And I know you've worked in multiple industries, yeah. multiple sectors, but mm. we were talking about like absolute vodka and Smirnoff and how they launched like these just cheap kind of flavoured kind of brand extensions, yeah. you know. We, well, they are brand extensions. Yes, yeah, diluting the, 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 the quality of the and the core, yeah, yes. by just launching too many products and not focusing on, on what they do but best. But the other right? thing to remember is the, the core product... When they launch these extensions, they're not quite as good right. as the core products. Right. I mean, I doubt whether you'd find any Russians actually ever buying any of these peripheral products. I doubt it. They just want they vodka. They, they <laughs> Distilled vodka. They want alcohol. <laughs> they don't want lemon juice or orange juice or whatever rubbish else they're, they're, they're putting in it. But it. And it's the core story. Of the last 30 years of branding. Yeah. Branding has just become assaulted by all of these copied products. DVDs, CDs, anything that can... Printed materials. I was speaking to someone from a premium luxury paper company. Mm-hmm. And they were saying they were getting hit by... In China, by copies of their own but they're only making bits of paper for god's sake and that's the problem if you make it too easy to copy right you are always going to be vulnerable to them watering down your brand right 
I mean, as I was talking to you earlier about the Louis Vuitton yeah. handbag, I mean, I cannot get over this. I mean, I remember when we looked at it, and we was, I had a sniff of it inside the bag. Yeah. Oh, God, it smelled dreadful. <laughs> I mean, you could not believe that was going to be charged at a, a so-called premium product. Right. It smelled of absolutely horrible, stuffy, cheap material, cheap glue. Nasty little fake rivets, right, or buttons, you know, to in 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 the fabric. It was just, I, I, it was utterly revolting. I mean, I didn't touch it for very long because I didn't like it, but I know somebody else who did, and some of the ink came off on their hands. Now, what does that say? What does that do for Louis Vuitton? Well, it makes does it does it not make their brand more widely known and 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 actually people realise that it's better, or, you know? Well, it may well make their brand widely known, but the problem is, what for? Well, it's a good point. It depends on if people actually think that's a real Louis Vuitton or a fake. If you it? want a glass of champagne mm-hmm. at your wedding, yeah, do you want just some sparkling something or other? Right. In which case, that's why God created Prosecco. Yes. Um, if you want to have a tip-top vintage champagne with a name and a heritage and a history that is worth having, of which you can be proud that you're serving, mm. you'll have Krug, right. for example. Right. And they did that incredibly well. I always thought they sold in a very limited area of London, yeah, around a certain area in town, mm-hmm. which was f- fairly discreet, right? But they did it very, very well. What was important in their, I think, in their eyes, was that they didn't water down the essence of what being Krug meant. And it was a family-owned company at the time. I think it still is. You may need to check that. I'll have a little look while you're talking. Okay. Um, I remember talking to the, the owners and they were fiercely proud of their heritage and the however many years they'd been running the business. Um, and I will admit that I did actually buy a case of crew few years ago and it was quite delightful just having a little look here okay yeah it's owned multi owned now by moe hennessy uh louis vuitton (laughs) yeah interestingly enough to tie that in yes (laughs) that's very interesting i didn't know that actually um and they also include so it includes moe chandon verve clico chateau ekem and renar as well, which is interesting. How interesting. Rinard. Mm. Yeah. Oh, Rinard is a very nice champagne. It is nice, yeah. Um, the Rinard Rosé is particularly good. Mm. Um, but I wasn't aware that they all were bought up by Louis Vuitton. No, I didn't know that either. Very interesting. But it still, it still retains that family kind of heritage, doesn't it? Yes. But it's it's very difficult though, isn't it, for these parent companies, a lot of the time they will they will buy a brand, won't they? And then they will 
then they will damage it because someone in head office or some external consultant doesn't understand what they're going to actually do to that brand and how it's going to affect the future yeah. of it, right? So if you look at, if you look at, let's go to chocolate, for example, mm. yeah? And you look at uh, Green and Black's yeah. chocolate, yeah? Um, what happened with them is Cadbury's bought Green and Black's, didn't they, for like, I don't know how many million, is it like 20 or, it was, a you know, it was a fair few million anyway. It was a fair few million. Yeah, yeah. And, and they basically launched. Need to check that how much you, you bought. They bought them for. Yeah, I'll have a look. Yeah, but they but they they came along and they launched a non-organic version of green and blacks, and then they extended it into all sorts of different areas. And then obviously, you know, what does that do? I can let me take you to the what may seem rather than the luxury market. Okay. But the mass market in a supermarket. Mm-hmm. What does it do? Well, the place to go and have a look is cleaning products. Because if you go into any supermarket, you will find metres and metres of shelf expended on all these cleaning products. Mm -hmm. Some will do one thing, some will do another, others will do something else. Right. What does it all do? Well, the first thing it does, I think, is confuse people. Yeah. I mean, if you're trying to buy something to clean the kitchen, mm. I'm not looking for anything complicated. I'm looking for something very simple. Right. If I'm looking for the bathroom, that old favourite going back many years, Dettol, mm-hmm. um, which is a great brand, yeah, has moved very successfully. I think it's owned by Rackets now. Um, has moved very successfully to develop new products, but they're all antibacterial. And that is the Dettol proposition. Yeah. It's not complicated. You don't have to have expensive advertising for it. It just has to pass one little message. Right. This so, thing kills bugs. Can I? So can I just stop you there a second and get a bit of an explanation? So it is possible then to actually extend a brand in that way, right? As long as it's actually the message is clear. Is that what you're saying? Well, I think, yes, it is. That's the essence of what I'm saying. And the trouble is, I mean, the way these brands operate Mm -hmm. is the last person who walked through the door of the company's department, marketing department, is given the job of developing brand extensions. Right. Well... It doesn't take a jump of the imagination to imagine how much of their time they spend doing it mm. by the results they come up with. Yeah. Because it's it's all researched through focus groups. Mm-hmm. Nobody takes a decision much on anything. Right. And what they come up with is a sort of aggregate decision based on a random committee. It reminds me of the story you told me about the bubbles. Weren't you sitting in a... Oh, God, yes. Isn't that what they made you do, to try and come up with a new product that died because of, because of their decision? Is that right? Yeah. Do, you want to, do you want to tell me that story? I quite well, like I was, that. I was sitting in an unnamed a company many years ago, and I wasn't really enjoying the job. And the job was to differentiate a bubble bath. And I thought, well, okay... Let's have a look what we got. And there was a packaging which was about as interesting as a blank wall. <laughs> and 
my 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 alternative to differentiating it was to actually do nothing more but put it into a transparent bottle with two quite deep colours, so mm. it looked attractive on the shelf. Yeah, and I I make no secret that I knew I wasn't exactly breaking the any kind of record for creativity, but at least it did look different to the previous incarnation. But part of the job was to actually do research on the size of the bubbles. And I remember sitting in this company's offices and (laughs) writing this report based on research in the size of bubbles. And I don't know whether I had one of those moments you have in life where you think, oh, God, my life has reached the nadir of, 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 of interest when I'm writing all these words about how to describe bubbles. They're bubbles, that's it. They, have a, no, they had no duration whatsoever as long as they don't pop or they just evaporate or, you know, they... Um, dissipate either spontaneously or you deliberately get rid of them but i just thought i can't do this for many 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 more months i need a real job <laughs> was <laughs> excuse me was that when you decided to do a degree in 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 law yeah 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 it was just like right that's a light bulb moment you want to change something and just progress into well i just thought it was wasting my life writing about bubbles yeah it's it's ridiculous it's ridiculous i mean there are people who write reports on more ridiculous things than that yeah but people would enjoy it though wouldn't they and if you're not sadly so and that says more about them than i could possibly well there are people who enjoy all sorts of things you know, let them get on with it. But so back to back to Cadbury, right? They bought um, they bought Green and Blacks for twenty million in two thousand and five. My uh, yeah, my 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 mum's first cousin, my so yeah, she Caroline, she actually wrote the Green and Blacks chocolate book. Oh, did she? she was involved with Green and Blacks in the early days, mm-hmm. uh, right at the beginning. She was the she was the marketing marketing director, I think, for them. Unfortunately, she passed away a few years ago, but she did a fantastic job with Green and Blacks and Covent Garden Soup Kitchen as well. She did the recipes for those. Oh, um, really? Yeah, yeah. But it's it's a it's a real real shame that Green and Blacks actually went down that sort of mass distribution kind of route and and diluted the quality that that made them who they were. You know, because you like you were saying, you can extend a brand, right? And I mean, I when I was working with my dad's company, we had a we had a port that we that we launched, and then we launched a reserve port. Oh, so we yeah. had a reserver, right, yeah. with a year on it and everything else. And it's been proven that if you have two products, one is a one is a, a cheaper version that that sells more. Would you agree with that in terms of branding or or, or not? Does that? I think it really depends on. I just think it depends on the quality of the product. Right. I mean, it's only a personal taste, but what I find surprising about Green and Black, who've done nothing wrong, really, I mean, they've built a very successful business. Yeah. Is that they didn't focus on two things. The range, the breadth of range of their products. Right. Because they they sell lots of different types of chocolate. Yeah. And they sell them in little packaging boxes. Mm-hmm. 
and it's quite well done. Yeah. But they didn't take one of those, which is what I would have done, and tried to create a, t- a secondary brand. Right. And I, I always thought that was missing a trick. Now, maybe they've researched it and nobody particularly liked any of them outstandingly, but it doesn't matter. I think they probably would have found something in the end. So what do you what do you what do you mean then exactly when you're talking about so you think they should have picked one of the particular varieties of chocolate like one style and then done one what and, and then done what with it exactly well I think they could have relaunched it in bigger bars right with the main core brand right and I was always thinking that when I tried green and blacks that the there were two particular chocolates, I think, chocolate flavours or variants. Which one? One of them was the orange, which sort of picked up on the chocolate orange ball that Terry's had. Right. And which did did quite well in the UK. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it still does. I don't. I don't. Oh, they do. Yeah, they do have. They do have an. Ah, uh, so they've what they've done. They've actually put that into some sort of funny packaging. I found it here. It's an advert from Waitrose, and they've launched it in some sort of velvet fruit, dark chocolate with a real fruit center, and it has no. Uh, let me see. Yeah, it has no organic reference. It does say. Does it say ethical? It used to be very ethical, Green and Blacks. It was supporting, you know, small independent growers, I believe, and from Belize is what they is what they started right. out as. That's that's what that's that's what my cousin was so passionate about in the beginning, you know. But then they grow into the mass market, don't they? And they and they and they and they wanna just grow sales, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So what would you do if you if you kind of went straight into a to a to a brand and they and they wanted to perhaps like launch a, a new product or a new service what what would you do give them a day off yeah <laughs> give them a day off stay at home go fishing <laughs> it'll be more profitable um the desire and the will to develop new brands is it's almost an obsession in many marketing departments, even today. And you can see them being advertised on the TV. They've got brand extensions into their website, into an online offering. Well, firstly, if it's an online offering, it's got a different demographic to the last supermarket I walked around. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's the first thing. And secondly, the chances of you coming up with something are seriously against you. Right. I mean, if you think that bread, mm-hmm. I mean, they're like, what was the last? I mean, Warburton's is a particularly successful brand. Very, yeah. And they've done that very well. They have actually, yeah. They launched a premium range, haven't they? Well, yeah. They've got. Yeah. A, they've not just got a premium range. They've got secondary products, which mm-hmm. are now doing quite well across. Right. The, got distribution for it. Right. But you know, it's difficult coming up with stuff like this. Yeah. I mean, they didn't organ. For example, they didn't produce a crumpet, right? Like everybody else's crumpet. Okay. They so, produced almost wa- wagon wheel size 
Oh, crumpets. right. Large so, crumpets. So they created... And they got the Muppets... Right. ...to advertise them for them. <laughs> so to everyone who's listening around the world, a crumpet is a kind of round sort of... I don't know what it is in... It's sort what of, is it in America? I'm not sure they have crumpets. Let me have a look. I'm going to look up what a crumpet is. A crumpet is is a baked kind of... I'm not that fast on my... On my uh, Crumpet is what? Talk amongst yourselves while he has a think. Yeah, I'm just having a little think here. It, so it's a thick, flat, savoury snack with a soft, porous texture made from a yeast mixture cooked on a griddle and eaten toasted and buttered. Well, that sounds rather interesting. Hmm. Informal British... So this is a bit of British slang for everyone out yeah. in the rest of the world. A crumpet is uh, is apparently a bit of crumpet. It's a woman regarded as an object of sexual desire. So there we are. But anyhow, back to um, back to the brand extensions. <laughs> oh, it's in the dictionary, right? Yes, it is. Bit, in of, the bit of uh, British slang there, Douglas. Yes, thank you so much. <laughs> Feel so edified. Um. <laughs> so, what else do you think have been? I mean, I was talking to the chap from. Uh, he he actually grew the Patron Tequila brand the other mm. day, and I did an interview with him. Yeah, just released it. I think episode twenty three or something. Yeah. And he he was saying that you know exactly what you're saying basically is just to do what you do best. Because Patron, they actually invested in a whisk in a in a uh, what was it? It was a vodka, uh, ultra premium vodka or something. I forget what it was called. Uh-huh. It was like ultra vodka or some naff name, and they tried to market that with Patron. Mm-hmm. So they were like, right, we're going to launch this premium vodka. We're going to use the same distribution and we're going to market it next to Patron. And people just got confused. So that they is, would do, wouldn't they? So so. So if the story really fits, it, it, so it's the it's the story then. It's actually fitting the quality of the product with the story, right? And and yeah. and making a decision like holding your hand out, not sticking your finger out the window and licking it, and no. saying, "Well, we're going to launch a, a product." It's it's about doing doing that research, right? And seeing if there's a yeah. seeing if there's sort of a a, a, a gap in the in the market for what you're talking about. And then if it fits in with your existing range, right? I mean, that's that's the most difficult part of it, isn't it? Absolutely. But you've got to produce something as a brand extension that is good common sense. A few years ago, a good example of this is Caterpillar. Caterpillar introduced a range of clothing. Mm-hmm. Now, what does Caterpillar stand for, really, to the average punter? Boots now. Well, it's boots, exactly. Yeah. But at the time, it was what? It was it a was JCB, great big, yeah. JC, you know, big, yeah. big building equipment. Yeah. Road building equipment. Yeah. And within that brand, it was implied that... The brand was hard wearing, mm-hmm. that it was rugged. Yep. So it made perfect sense to them to launch a range of clothing that was hard wearing and rugged and brand it Caterpillar. Right. Which they did, and it worked very successfully. I mean, they didn't, in thank God, introduce a range of perfumes. 
caterpillar perfume. Yeah, because that would have been grabbing too much out of the ether. Right. The trouble I find is with extensions is the ones that worked, that work, are the ones that you remember because they make fundamental sense. Body Shop extend, expanded its range considerably from the days of Laura... Not Laura, actually. What's her name? Anita. Anita Roddick, yeah. yeah. And ultimately, I mean, of course, she, she, she died, I think, in the early 90s. Yeah, she did. She visited my dad at the winery, I think. They had a, oh. they had a conversation. They were part of the same sort of business networking group down yeah. in Worthing, I think. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right. And... But every extension made sense because it underwrote the essence of their brand. Right. Which could be, which at the time was, we don't experiment on animals. Yeah. And we don't explain, we don't exploit indigenous people. Mm-hmm. And we don't try and pollute the environment or whatever it is. Right. And we care about the seas, so we don't want, you know, so on lots of plastic nowadays is the latest one. Mm-hmm. Um, but it has to have a ground, it has to be born out of common sense and reality, not some fantasist environmental issue. Right. I mean, people aren't stupid. Right. You can put up an extension and you, I mean, it's not difficult to come up with ideas. No. But successful ones are really tough because you've got to buy into people's belief in what the brand is doing and that really is the fundamentals of it so what about what about um what are your favorite kind of brands in the in in the world that you think people can learn from wow um i mean that's a a big question really I think, I mean, they can learn from, at the moment we're going through, the the growth of the digital brand into almost a super brand, mm. super brands. And they're differentiating themselves and creating spin-offs from themselves in all kinds of ways. But they are doing so, in my opinion, to the the risk of upsetting far too many consumers. Okay. Um, I mean, the way Google and Amazon and people like that, Facebook behave, mm-hmm. is constant media fodder. Right. And unless they take real notice on this issue of teenagers and suicide, Mm-hmm. they are going to find they will be affected far more than they actually think they will be. Really? Because, yeah, I'm convinced of it, because they are all hiding behind algorithms. And all algorithms are is a little formula yeah. that they have created which allows them to identify respondents to the online offer. So what what sort of effect do you do you think teenage suicide right is it because teenagers are more isolated or are you referring to sort of bullying online or what are you 
what do you sort of no i think it's they are to me anyway mm-hmm. and i've spent 20 years in branding yeah they are not recognizing the link that they have with their market and the brand okay why people are using them right just ignoring them and saying we're going to do it our way is not an answer right so when you talk about that you're talking about the buying experience aren't you so just as an example a few weeks ago i tried to buy something on amazon right so i tried to log into amazon okay it wouldn't let me log in okay yeah so so then really yeah it wouldn't because i hadn't logged in for ages i hadn't bought anything on amazon like for a year or something okay. so so it wouldn't let me log in they deleted to, you. It, it they basically just blocked me from from going into their system yeah so so then it took me like forever to get into amazon okay yeah. i had some guy call me up i was right i was exhausted i just spent an hour and a half i bought a new bicycle I wanted to buy a helmet and a, and, a, and a light and all the good stuff that saves you from killing yourself on a bicycle, right? Yeah. And by the time Amazon had called me, I'd already ordered from eBay, okay? All right, which took me an hour and a half. I was absolutely exhausted. Yeah. Should have employed someone to, to order it for me, right? It's it's exhausting, this stuff, yeah? Yeah, they locked me out as well. Right. But the thing is, is that that process just makes you want to switch to someone else, but yes. you, but you don't switch because there isn't a better, there isn't a better option, right? Oh, there will be one day. Yeah, there will be. Yeah, there'll be a better customer orientated business. Yeah. I mean, these people just operate as if they're not answerable to anybody. Mm. Mm. You know, um, I find they have returns policies, mm. which are so complicated. It's not even worth talking about most of the time. I bought some books for um some fr- a friend he's he was only quite young and i didn't actually need to give them to him and a because someone else had bought them for him and it became a major exercise trying to communicate with them right because they don't want to talk to anyone no they want to keep the cost down don't yeah. they and we could talk to a call center mm. but you can't talk to anybody who knows what the hell you're doing or why you're doing it yeah yeah um and i think they will lose impetus because they are completely blind to the issue right so so in terms of sort of teenage suicide and this kind of stuff are we are we really talking about like um, the brand not being responsible is that what we're really getting to that's what ultimately they're doing yeah so 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 really that comes down to the actual values that that sit behind that brand and the like the mission like you know like uh, you know I want people to have access to the best information that's why I launched launched this expert series of podcasts so I can interview people like you right yeah. so people who have just the interest who 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 want to learn, and actually might not have any money, they can learn from the best in the world, right? All right. That's my, that's my ethos okay. for law and to motivate, encourage So yours people. is an educative. That's what my podcast series is for, yeah. Okay. So, so that is my mission, right, for this, okay? So, so basically what we're really saying is that someone needs to come up with some values 
that are actually more meaningful than I want to connect everybody in the world. Well, yeah. Because... And more empathetic and compassionate is what we're, we're in essence talking around, right? Yeah, and, uh, and values that rather than just sort of statements of intent are statements that they can deliver on in practice. There's no point telling everybody you want to con- connect with everybody in the world if you're promptly ignoring large sectors of your universe that are in deep trouble right. or not feeling well or ill or dying or right. whatever it is. It doesn't, it doesn't actually matter. And when you start saying, for example, you, you can't delete Facebook f- profiles, mm. um, that's quite difficult because you're basically saying people whose relatives have deceased are, are up in Facebook even though they're no longer alive. And they came up with a solution which was... They were going to memorialise. I mean, you know, I don't understand what they're going to do with it. But it's obviously not for anybody's benefit other than their own. Well, I think now it looks like you can actually delete. You can actually delete that now. But thing mm. is, they they know how addictive their platforms are. And in essence, we're, you know, we're kind of talking a bit about that as well, really. Because what it's doing is it's encouraging people to just have virtual relationships. Yeah. Spend their time looking at the screen which i'm which i'm doing is i'm checking checking some facts out but but it's actually causing a lack of real you know face-to-face communication which is in essence damaging the underpinning of the human nature of actually having a proper conversation like we're sitting here i'm in your your front room and we're having a conversation okay but but a lot of these people I mean, they, they 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 actually pretend to have a life that they that they're not living. So they will take pictures of their running shoes, for example, yeah, and then take their running shoes off and sit down and go back to bed because they're in clinical depression because someone's bullying them or, or they're unhappy in their lives and stuff like this. Yeah, and I think that technology does have a way of helping those people to make them more aware of it. But the problem is the algorithms are so inherently addictive. Uh, Well, they target people to make them addicted, don't they, to this sort of stuff? I'm very lucky because I don't know. Mm. I don't know what these algorithms are designed to do. But I know that what they do do is pretty harmful. Yeah. And they're only in the interests of the company. Yeah. They're only about dollars and cents. And in the end, you find if you're backing a business supporting a brand that is only about dollars and cents, you will come up, you will start to hit a very bumpy road when it goes wrong. Because it will go wrong. It, all it needs is one little pothole in the road. Yeah. And you will hit it and then everything will go wrong. Yeah. Well, there's publicity at the moment. Facebook the other week was saying that they've got however many billion users. And actually, they said that half of them are fake, apparently. That's what I read. Is you it? know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know. But but I think... So, in essence, what we're talking about is getting buy-in 
from people so that no matter where your product is seen or what platform you're communicating mm. on, because they might die, these platforms, people are still going to remember well, MySpace you. MySpace did. Yeah, yeah. But people, so people are going to still remember you based upon your ethics and your and your value system. Yeah. Yeah. Very much so. Yeah. Very yeah. much so. Yeah. Because otherwise they don't feel valuable, do they? They feel I mean like you're not then they're not really they're just a commodity. Like I think you know. there's a very good anecdote in this story that you recounted about what had happened to Amazon where you couldn't log in. Right. I mean, did they delete your your login details? They they then called me. It was awful. They called me and I was absolutely exhausted. Yeah, you've right. made that point. And that no, but they called me, and this guy was very good at telesales, and he persuaded me to stay on the phone while they reset my password. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I said, "Look, just send me an email, and I'll reset it." They sent me an email, and it didn't work. And they didn't mm. give a monkey's if they don't actually cared. Yeah, mm. and called me afterwards. Yeah, and said. Did that work? Are you in enough? Can you do it? But then it took them three days to actually work out that I had not logged on, right? I tried to reset it again three times, yeah? And then it finally worked eventually after someone in their tech department, right, had obviously looked at it. And it just reminds me of the BlackBerry days when BlackBerry really fell on its face after BlackBerry App World crashed because some bright spark in tech made everyone reset their passwords and no one could reset their passwords. So you got locked out of BlackBerry App World. You weren't happy about it. So what have I got now? I've got an iPhone. <laughs> it's simple. You vote with your feet, don't you? Because you don't feel valued. But you see, that's the thing. When you start just randomly going through your database and deleting large chunks of it, and people don't know you've done that. You only find they find out by accident. Yeah, I did, had a period where I didn't really use Hotmail for mm-hmm. a while, yeah. and I'd been using it for quite a while, I suppose ten years, ten or twelve years, and it had all gone. Everything I'd got really? on Hotmail just just deleted. Yeah, and you couldn't get on. I mean, they did it to Skype. Did it right? Which I suppose was Microsoft. Yeah, yeah, same thing. Same Hotmail. thing. Yeah. You know? yeah, yeah. Same same account, yeah, because they merged the two together, you know. I mean, now they're talking about merging all these apps together, the messenger apps, aren't they? Are they? Yeah, today. Were they? In the papers, yeah. yeah. It's, it is, it's got to a state where you, you actually have to study, I would say, two hours a day now to keep up with whatever's going on. Perhaps one hour if you're very intelligent. But trying to keep up with the way things are going, I think we've reached a rate of... Of, of moving forwards at such a quick rate that... But the, the fundamental point is this. Mm-hmm. We may be going quickly, yeah. but one thing you can be sure of, the last person who actually knows is the user. Mm. And nobody wastes their time telling them no. or thinking that they matter. And that's the lesson. If they provide free accessibility to the internet and everybody then gets on board with it, they just cut off whatever percentage of the list they delete because they can't be bothered to maintain it. And there's a big story there because it really causes a lot of disappointment and frustration. Yeah. 
I mean, I think that, but that goes that goes back to the whole values and how your brand makes people feel, right? Yeah. Because you want you want people to buy into like this microphone I've got here, right? It's a Blue Yeti microphone. Yeah, they've been bought by Logitech. Okay, okay. it doesn't matter to me. I've got a Logitech video camera for my for my laptop, right? And I adore this product. Yeah, yeah. it's the way that it feels, right? it's it's the set the settings are right it's the way it looks it's the it's the sound that it creates uh, it's everything about this product i absolutely love yeah right for a desktop mic okay. and 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 i i brought it over because it's it's the best microphone right okay. and it works very well yeah and you know yeah they've launched a new color recently right i still like it in silver right okay. but this brand gives me a good warm feeling inside. Okay. okay. And I've had it for a few years. It's been all over the place. I've interviewed all sorts of people using this microphone face to face. I even went to the gardening club in London, interviewed Mike Tobin on this OBE with this, right? Sat there. Did you interview him or his OBE? Well, we were in the smoking room and we, oh, we did. It was funny because it was so noisy and I adjusted the settings on here, which just gave us a, like the setting we've got here, just in case your wife comes home and like says, what on earth are you doing? You know, we might sort of hear her, but, you know, in essence, the people in the smoking room, it dulled out their noise. You get the point I'm trying to make. Yeah. Uh, so I will buy another Blue Yeti microphone. Right. It might not be blue. Yeah. Okay. But I just love the product. But you're not going to buy it for its colour, are you? No, I'm going to buy it because I love everything about it. Right. Everything. Yeah. It's performance. It, yep. Performance. Yeah. Yeah. And 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 so when you when you talk about performance, right? You're talking about deliverables, aren't you? Right. Performance. Always. Delivering what you say you're going to deliver. Yep. Yeah. A, yeah. A premium champagne. Yeah. Or anything else. Yeah. You know, it doesn't matter what you're talking about. Your brand is dependent on the performance differentiators. What it does differently to all the others. How it makes the consumer or the user feel. You know, it's it's really very, very, very basic and fundamental to what we're talking about. It's basic, but overlooked entirely well it's completely forgotten i think and that's the problem with these oh these large online businesses well some yeah i mean i mean certainly with with apple i love apple yeah but what i don't like is the fact that i have to pay them every month for storage that annoys me Mm. because i really want to be able to take my photos yeah off the icloud yeah okay and put them on a hard drive, which I own, mm. which I don't have to pay anyone for. But it annoys me that I haven't been able to do that easily. Yeah. And that's because Apple, like everyone else, has made a decision that they want to make money from storage. Because they see that the cost, that the sales of their phones is, is going down. Yes. The number of sales, because the iPhone 6 Plus and the iPhone 8 and everything else are so similar in, in, in results, in, in what they actually do, that the sales are slowing down, so they try and make money from everything else, right? And that's, and that's annoying for the consumer. And what it means is, is that 
when someone comes along and they launch a phone that is equally as good or better than an iPhone and it has a open policy, not Android, because I don't like Android. Mm. For me personally, I don't like Android too much. I find it it's difficult. But Android may fix itself in my eyes and make it easier for me to use. I pick one up. I can hardly use an Android phone now, you know. But there needs to be more people understanding these things, mm. you know, in management and also consumers as well, really. I think that's absolutely fine. Yes, I think that's true. Yes. Mm. I couldn't improve it. Yeah. It's a, it's a very interesting subject, you know, and as part of as part of what you've sort of done in the past, what, 20 years, 25 yeah. years of your of your career, it's... Yeah. It's, you know, a small part of everything that you do and have done. Because uh-huh. I know you've been involved with, with, with big business development yeah. and worked at Pepsi and, you know, lots of these huge companies. And you've, you've helped people as well, right, with, with their personal brands, you know. I'm quite yeah. impressed, though, that you, you, you did this degree in law when you, were, when you were actually working full time as well. How on earth did you do that, Douglas? <laughs> Well, some pretty nifty footwork <laughs> in managing a job and the studying. Yeah. When I was at bar school. And some good mates. Right. Um, they helped as well. Mainly small things, like when I was in central London, one of the girls used to go and stand outside in the parking space well, before, when knowing I was coming. Oh, wow. So when I arrived, there was a parking space to pull into. Right. That's what helped. Um, and things like that. Yeah. It's important to have help from, from your friends, you know, very much so. So, yeah. So when you, when you sort of, when you worked on these brands, what was the most, what was the most exciting kind of project that you've been involved with? Cause... Ah, well, that would be a very complicated project in on Pepsi, right? Which I initiated because Pepsi was concerned at the distribution levels and consumption levels in Denmark, okay, which is a very regulated market, and we created a initiative with teenagers who are desperately difficult demographic to appeal to and we did a deal with the cinema groups in Denmark so they could get free tickets and we combined that with a deal with a magazine in Denmark called Chile and we used the Chile angle as a way of distributing samples Quite a few of them, actually. Many thousands of samples of Pepsi or Diet Pepsi or whatever it was Mm. at the time. And that went over the summer. Right. And it was was absolute hell to organise because there were so many people involved in it. Yeah. Um, But, you know, with with a diligent advertising agency, Mm -hmm. um, we had uh, Leah Burnett. Denmark, Copenhagen. Right. Um, we were able to uh, create this initiative with with Pepsi Cola, and that really was quite exciting because no one had ever done that. 
Right. And the reason no one had ever done it was because they have such strict laws in Denmark protecting consumer interests. Oh, really? We literally went through the little rule book with a fine-tooth comb, point by point, to see if we could get away with sampling, to see what we could get away with in terms of exposure to advertising. And it was quite technically complicated. But it was very successful. The bottler was very pleased. Never seen anything like it, to be honest. (laughs) But there you go. So it went really, really well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I think that was one of the most exciting things I did in my career. Yeah. That sounds like fun, actually. Yeah. I mean, I've heard so many, so many sort of interesting stories from some of the things that you've done. Find it, find it quite, quite inspiring, actually. What I find so interesting about the online world and the offline world and how you get communities in both. And sometimes if obviously if you're if you're active, you get communities in both. Right. If you're active online as well as offline. And I just find that so interesting how you can sort of merge the two together and, you know, for example, go and visit people in a particular country and say, well, I'll be in New York next week. I'm going to go and visit you. And because you've because you've built a brand or the company you're involved with has a brand, you can go there and sort of and sort of meet people who you would never normally meet because you've already sold yourself to people, haven't you? Yeah. By being associated with that company and having a brand of your own as a, as an individual, right? Because I know you've written a you've written a book on personal branding recently. Yep. You're in the process of sort of writing another book aren't you in the next year or two yeah I should hope to yeah which is quite interesting it's more sort of business focused isn't it this next one yeah the next yeah. one will be more business yeah focused. with a bit of a law kind of focus to that as well or possibly yes well thank you douglas it's been it's been really enjoyable i've i've learned a lot as okay. usual and uh, i will let you know when this is live thank you thanks a lot Nat. thanks so much for listening Please subscribe and wherever you prefer, share with your friends. And if you enjoyed the show, drop us a review on iTunes or wherever you listen. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.